I'm Toby M. Schreier, an artist and printmaker. I'm Corinne Cunningham, a writer. As siblings growing up together in Seacoast, New England, and now from opposite sides of the Atlantic, we've listened to and supported each other through the ups and downs of our artistic endeavors. We thought you might like to listen in to our conversations about creativity and process. And so we've created this podcast, Ink from the Embers, our musings on the roots and growth of creativity. We hope you enjoy listening in. Hi there, Toby here. This past December and into January, 2022-23, if you're tuning in from the future, I and my wife visited Corinne and family stateside for the first time in about four and a half years. This was also our first visit to the new family compound in the deep Maine woods. Corinne and I took this opportunity to head out to the cabin, prop a cell phone up on a chair between us, and record some long overdue in-person conversations over tea. These are our cabin sessions. Enjoy. So you wanted to talk about letting go. Mm. I did. So... There's a whole big population of people listening to this who are going to start singing. Yeah, yeah. Let it, let it go, let it go. I, I actually can't say I know the, the real version. I just know the black metal version. Oh, jeez. Because, uh, you know, if you want to talk about themes that fit with black metal, you know, the Ar- Arctic North being excluded from society and coming mm. to peace with your own eternal loneliness. Yeah, that's perfect black metal. And yeah. they figured that one out damn fast. I don't know if the movie was out a week before that one was posted. Oh, wow. And you still haven't seen the movie? I have, but I haven't heard the audio to it. I was in the airplane kind of reading and somebody else was watching Uh, it. So I kind of, I I got the story. I'm sure you did. It's not hard. It's not hard. (laughs) I I saw the movie. I didn't hear it, though. So letting go. Letting go. Um, So previously, in the last season, I had talked a lot about woodcuts. And that was the majority of the art that I made, which is very, you cut away what shouldn't print, and then you print basically like a rubber stamp. Mm -hmm. So other than some wood grain and some technicalities of printing, it's pretty logical. What you cut away doesn't print, what stays does. You know what you're going to get. Is that relief? That is relief printing. Very well done. I got two thumbs up up for that one. Yes. Someone's been paying attention. Either that or I just repeat myself a lot. No. Um, and I had done intaglio printmaking, which is etching and engraving, which is where you cut or etch divots out of the metal, and those divots hold the ink, and then the paper is pressed into the div- divots mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of pressure. Little known fact, that was your license plate in New Hampshire. Intaglio, that is true. Caused a lot of confusion because people are like, that means to cut into? And so if my life was just to cut into and people don't understand the art connection, they were, they were a little concerned. I never would have thought of that. Anyway, um, but I got back into etching and I wanted to do some aqua tint etching, which is spraying the paint with a dot pattern. Traditionally, it was tree resin that was melted and then it etches around it and that holds ink in flat areas of color, mm-hmm. not just etched lines. And that is more variable and a little bit more unpredictable. Mm. And then I started using zinc rather than copper because zinc is half the price of copper and copper is expensive right now. Do they have similar properties? They do. They're both soft. 
zinc is more reactive and it etches a bit grittier. Mm. It's not as clean of an etch, so that adds another layer of unpredictability. And then I wanted to use a soap ground acid resist. Because you can, the longer you put acid on, the darker it will get. And traditionally, it's you etch five minutes, okay, you have one tone, pull it out, stop that out, etch again, you have your next darkest. So it's very, mm-hmm. you've got no gradients. But I used a soap ground, which is like a mixture of ground up soap, titanium white pigments, linseed oil, and a bit of water, all mac- mixed into what is essentially really shitty gouache. Pain in the ass to paint with, mm-hmm. but the acid soaks through that gradually. So the thicker you paint, the lighter it will be because the acid won't etch through it as quickly. So you okay. can get really painterly effects, but it's very unpredictable. Mm. So there's all of these layers of unpredictability that I had to figure out. And again, with new chemistry, because I'm using a different acid than I did in school, so that. It was all new, all experimentation, and every time I would put this in the acid, I finally got it to the point where it mostly does what I want it to do. Mm-hmm. Mostly. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, that just turned into like pure joy. Really? Because it was like, okay, I do this, and it's not just me putting my idea there. It's I put my idea out, and then... What does the ground, what does the plate, and what is the acid, what does all of this have to say? So it wasn't just me, it turned into a dialogue. Wow. And that conversation was so fascinating, and here's my idea, here's where I want it to go. Pull it out of the acid, ooh, that looks good, print it, oh, okay, that's another way of looking at it. Mm Mm-hmm. And to really embrace that idea of what is it saying now, what does it need, not, oh, fuck, that's not what I wanted. I was just going to say, this is reminding me of our episode that we had where you were talking about Prince failing. Yeah. We had a whole conversation about that word. Is this going to change how you look at your other, like your woodcuts too, do you think? No, or kind of, yes, but there are certain things where... It can fail. It's like they're, they're right. like, again, technical failures where the ink is not sticking to the paper. Right, right. But here it's, even that approach to the idea is, now it's like, I don't know what this is going to do. Mm-hmm. Or I do know a little bit, but how exactly will that do it? Yeah. That was such an interesting process to really get a hold of and to observe myself in. And taking that to even another extreme was, at one point, I forgot a step. Because when you're etching, you protect the back of your plate. So that the back of the etching plate doesn't get etched. Okay. That's to make sure that your plate doesn't get too thin, and so that your acid doesn't get saturated with bits of metal. So I realized that. Like, oh, lots of swearing. But like, okay, it's in the acid. I'm just leaving it. I'm not going to pull it out because for one etch, this won't be an issue. I can live with this. So I pull it out. Okay, the front of the plate's fine. does its thing. But then I actually end up looking at the back of the plate. And there are all these wonderful patterns. Just because, like, they're, zinc etches really bubbly. 
It's a really highly reactive etch that uh, byproduct is hydrogen, actually. It doesn't put out enough to be flammable, people. Don't worry. And I do use ventilation. But with this etch, so it's creating bubbles underneath. So now there's hydrogen against the plate, not the acid. Or it's sitting on something. And every time you put it into the acid, there's this etch on the back. And it's not a deep etch because there are no dots for it to etch against. Mm -hmm. I could do an aqua tint on the bottom. That's an idea. Anyway. But this open etch with all these random patterns was just so fascinating. So, like, okay, I'll print the front of my plate, do that. I'm going to print the back. So I actually started printing the backs of my plates. Wow. Just to see what these random patterns would look like and playing around with different colors of ink and different processes of inking them, which is just this totally abstract, random thing. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of made me question, like, well, did I do that? Is that me? So, like, I put it in the acid, I chose to ink it, but that random process was just that extreme of letting go. It's like, I I don't even have an idea, Mm -hmm. other than my idea is to put this into the acid and see what happens. Right. And you're using your creativity to... A, put it in. B, how long? C, like there are elements. There are elements. But, but yeah, seeing what actually takes. Yeah. That's really fascinating. And so it was kind of that going on side by side with learning to let go and really just listen to the image. Mm -hmm. At some points it was like, no, that no longer looks like a sky. I need to scrape that to get it brighter again. Okay, great. But it's not that total letting go but still it's a more lively idea. And these were the ones, these were the images that you decided that you wanted to try this medium for your show. Yes. So this, this letting go and this process that I was not in complete control of was me letting go of that control, gearing up for my first show in Europe. And having those time constraints. And having those time constraints. It was Oh, that's a lot, Toby. Yeah, that was really fascinating. Um, yeah. But this also came at a point in time where I was getting interested in generative music or mm-hmm. ambient and generative music where you know you set the parameters, but then there's so much aleatoric chance mm-hmm. that it's, again, you're setting the rules and then letting stuff happen. That was just, again, a fascinating process for me. Wow. Because have you, your, your music practice, has that stayed consistent over time? Or does that, that's ebbed and flowed a lot, right? That has ebbed and flowed. It's not always active. Mm-hmm. And it's rarely the same. Um, I mean, it's often a reflection to some extent of what I listen to, but it's always a usually a lot calmer than what I listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always kind of leaned off more torn towards calm and ambient stuff. But no, it certainly hasn't been consistent. It's, there's been a break, and I'm looking forward to getting back more into it. Um, but no, mm-hmm. it's that... Cause my friend Mike, who does a lot of writing... He actually ends up using a lot of chants in his writing as well. 
Oh, really? In that for his, a lot of his fiction, very different than his nonfiction or historic fiction, but for a lot of his fiction, he actually bases a lot of the writing off of role-playing game systems. Oh, yeah. So in the, okay, here's the situation, what's going to happen, roll some dice. Mm -hmm. Okay, I wouldn't have thought of that, but how does the story respond to that? Yeah. Yeah, that's like, I'll, I'll pull some tarot cards or oracle cards, and it's kind of that same idea of like, oh, I hadn't considered that. It's it's not necessarily, and he, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for him, but you don't have to do it exactly that, but it might give you some kind of inspiration that maybe you just couldn't access before or some yeah. part of the story that you couldn't access before without some other kind of input from an outside source. Exactly. Hmm. You know, I often think back to Brian Eno's Deck of Oblique Strategies. Have you ever heard of that? No, I don't think so. Are you familiar with Brian Eno? No. So he is a musician and composer and producer. Um, one of the bands that he's most known for producing is the Talking Heads. Oh, really? Um, but he also did a lot of ambient and generative music. Mm -hmm. One of the tricks he had, I believe he partnered with somebody else to make this deck, but I can't remember their name, is this is just a deck of cards, like prompt cards, but, mm -hmm. okay, we're stuck, draw a card. Mm -hmm. And it might say do it backwards. Yeah. It might say, look at the big picture. It might say, do it three times. There's one card that just says, water. Mm. It's kind of like that of, okay, you're stuck. I don't know what to do. Draw a card. Or like John Cage with his music that relies on the surrounding noise that is random and different every time. Four mm -hmm. minutes and 33 seconds where it's just silence and the piece of music is the ambient noise of the audience or he also does visual artwork where anything that can be a, a choice there might be a list of numbers and every number corresponds with a color or something mm -hmm. so there's always that question well what is the artist's role yeah where is that creativity and part of it is well did he create a set of rules mm -hmm. or in a lot of electronic music or modular synthesis it's okay there's all this random stuff going on but there's always that musician sitting there the now it's good i'm gonna lock that in mm -hmm. it's almost a curation yeah yeah so i was learning a lot about that at the same time i was experimenting with this aqua tint in the soap ground how did that come about being at the same time was it just kind of random yeah pure dumb luck really it wasn't like I wasn't getting into that and trying to say, oh, I need a different approach for my yeah. visual arts. It was more just, I had been getting into more synthesis and the idea of modular synthesis and this generative ambient and working that into, figure out how to play that with my bass and couple mm -hmm. instruments together. And that's a whole rabbit hole of creativity. Yeah. But for me, it's like when I'm sitting down and working on a plate, I can't actually listen to anything about art. So like if I'm listening to podcasts, I can't listen to a podcast about art while I am making art. That makes that or makes visual sense art. Yeah. But if I'm just doing something, I could have something on about music, music theory. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of both sides of that wave feed the other. 
Yeah. So like if I'm concentrating on visual arts, I might be feeding my brain with music stuff. Mm -hmm. While I'm making music, I might be thinking about the visual arts. Yeah. Because how did you how did you get into incorporating tarot decks into your process? Oh, I think I had seen people doing it for a long time. Um, yeah, it, I. Whenever I started getting into the tarot decks, it was it was because people were using them for their, you know, to inspire their morning journaling or something mm -hmm. like that. And so, I mean, I had a deck. I think mom and dad gave it to me when I was, well, probably mom gave it to me for Christmas one year. I think I said I wanted a tarot deck and, um, and it was the classic rider weight. It, it really was. Yeah. And I don't remember when I got rid of it. Um, and so I, I learned a little bit about it, but not much. I just, it wasn't the right time. Um, and then when I saw people incorporating that, um, into their writing practices, I thought that might be something to look into. And so it kind of started, yeah, from that point, not a, not a, like I wasn't reading, you know, I wasn't reading tarot in other ways first. I was, that's how I started with it. Um, and I think it was Carolyn Donahue, um, who I think I've mentioned her before. She has a whole book on, um, using tarot for fiction and how to interpret the cards in different ways okay. and different questions to ask. Um, we'll link it below. I, I can't remember what the name of the book is. It's sitting, I know right where it is in my office. Um, but yeah, so it was kind of a natural, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, yeah, I just lost my train of thought. It's okay. Cause You'd been using other prompt work beforehand? Yes, yes, that's that's a very good point. Yeah, I'd, I'd used Sarah Selecki's props for a long time, um, and I really enjoyed that because you can't ever have writer's block that way. I mean, and some people argue that writer's block is not a thing, but staring at a blank page can be intimidating. And so if you have some place to start from a, a different entry point, they yep. um, can make all the difference, I think. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit of mental mental momentum, which yeah. is actually really hard to say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It just gets you started. And then, you know, maybe, maybe what you're writing actually has nothing to do with where you started. Right. But again, it was an entryway into into that writing mindset. Exactly. Possibly for something that you would have never... Yeah. That's not part of your own mental vocabulary. Yeah. And that's where, you know, it's, it's interesting to listen to you talk about that because for the idea of that idea of letting go and that I forget now what term you use, just that it's a conversation between yep. you and something else. And that's that like creative quote unquote muse or like the universe or whatever, that kind of like you get kind of into a little bit of spirituality in that sense with your artwork. Um, and when you 
think about it being like just when you when you take a breath of air and you look at what you're doing and you're like i have no idea how that even came about that's yeah. when you're like whoa what exactly is coming what's coming through me and what you know it's just it feels a little otherworldly and that's yeah. a really special thing even if it's not like even if you know like whatever your beliefs are that's flow like that's yeah. in you're in that artistic flow and it just feels really good when i think because you know for so for a lot of for a lot of artists you want to control what you're creating yes you want to have some sense of control and when you realize that you let go of that and things happen you don't have to hold something so tightly that it can't become what it needs to become it takes a little bit of pressure off yourself too yeah um and yeah i think that's a really neat a really neat thing I know. I want more of that, which means I just have to get writing again. <laughs> yes. But I think also in that finding ways to let that a conversation, let that unexpected, let that sense yeah. of play, that sense of flow, let all of that come up. It was like one of my favorite prints from the past year was a back of the plate print. Mm-hmm where there's all this lovely, a really rich patterned gray, but then there's this piece of tape in the middle. Because mm. when you when I, I've used a piece of tape to put the plate in the acid so that I didn't have to put my hands in the acid, yeah. so it didn't etch under that piece of tape. So there's this piece of tape with a ripped end on it, mm. etched in the middle of that. Mm. It's like, that's just, I would have never done that. Yeah. But that's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, I can imagine that could be interpreted in so many different ways too. For somebody who's looking at that and connecting with it, right? It's like I look at that and like I've seen stuff like this on gallery walls. Yeah. And it's always a question like, oh man, what is the message of this? And for me, it was this was a pure accident. But mm-hmm. if I choose to frame that, to print that, and put it on the wall, there is that intention there. Yeah. And not just because it looks pretty, but because it means something to me. Yeah. And honestly, what it would mean to me would be very different from what somebody else would see looking at it. Because I know that was pure dumb luck on my part. But my choice to elevate that chance event into art, so -hmm. to speak, is interesting. Yeah. I also think back to Victor Wooten. Mm Mm-hmm. In his book, The Music Lesson. Yeah. Where, and this is also his classes when he's talking in person. I have had the pleasure of meeting Victor Wooten and being in one of his courses or workshops. That's where you met your wife. That is where I met my wife. This is true. Mm. He always talks about music with a capital M as a her, as a person. Mm-hmm. So he's like, listen. Listen to what's being played. Listen to what's going on. And then what does music need? Mm. It's not even what does this one piece that's being played right now. It's what does music need? What is she asking for? Mm-hmm. What is she saying? Yeah. It's kind of, again, 
it could go esoteric, but it could also just be that abstract of what is the situation? Yeah. What is being asked? Everything that's coming together is, you can look at it as separate parts, but as they mix together, that is never going to happen again. Yeah. That is totally unique. Mm. So, what is the situation right now asking for? How are you responding to this moment in time? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, it's that letting go and but at the same time listening and responding, it gets really out there really quick. Yeah. Because no matter how much you plan, at a certain point, all of life is aleatoric. It's all chance. Yeah. But how you respond to it, that's where the choice is, that's where the reaction, that's where the conversation kind of comes in. Yeah. Yeah, and that's... The same with writing, you know, what does the story need in this moment? What does it need? What does the word, like, what is the next word that needs to come into play? And, and yeah, if you're sitting down, your mood as a writer definitely impacts where the story goes. I mean, yeah, you have to remove yourself a little bit, but you're never going to see that next moment the same way that you do in that, in that moment, depending on where you are. The different um, um, inputs that have impacted your day and, your, and the work itself. Yeah, it's interesting. So, when you enter a flow state mm-hmm. and you're writing, what is that like for you? I mean, are you, I mean, I, it's a flow state, so ideally you're not thinking, yeah. but is the scene just playing out? Are you just describing? Yeah. Yeah, it just plays out, and it's like what, I think I've said this before, it's like a movie, and I'm just kind of trying to write all of the different sensory experiences that would go on in that scene um, to describe what that's like. It just, yeah, just the next thing happens, and it does, It you know, your characters, or my characters will surprise me, and you kind of sit back and like, oh, that is exactly what needed to happen, or that's exactly what needed to be said, but I didn't know it was in anywhere in my mind. So yeah. You know, um, it's a, it's a fantastic thing. Um, that flow state doesn't happen as often. And sometimes I wonder if that's because I don't allow an, like a lot of time, like a big chunk of time. But mm. I also think you can get into that flow state easily. Um, even if you have just a few minutes to write, I think it yeah. just depends on how, connected you are to the work you know how well you can tune out what else is going on around um yeah i haven't had an experience where it's been like a whole day just flies by because i don't yeah that just never happens um but i do think things like nanowritemo when you have a lot of words to write in a relatively small amount of time, that encourages that flow state, um, kind of to an extreme, and which might lend itself to burnout at the end of yeah. November. But, um, but yeah, and that's the turning off of the editing mind of the oh my yeah. god, I can't even think about what I'm writing. I just need to write down so that I have these yeah 
these numbers and then at a certain point where you're not thinking and just writing that is part of the definition of a flow state. Exactly. Exactly. And, and at the same point, like I think you can enter that flow state when you're editing too. Yes. It's just a little bit different. Um, the parameters for it are different. Um, but I've certainly felt that before too. Well, going back a little bit back to the, uh, the tarot and you've said that you've done some, you started using it as more of a writing prompts. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not sure if I heard it right, but that you had done some further reading or more experience with that. I know from my interactions with tarot, going back to my bad habit in college of dating too many Wiccans, mm-hmm. but tarot has a way of accessing the unconscious. Yeah. Have you run across much of that? or? Yeah, absolutely. Or in what direction have you continued to research or read or expand your, your relationship with tarot? Um, gosh. Really vague question. Sorry about no, that. No, it is a vague question, but I think when you get into stuff like tarot, vagueness helps. Um, how do I do that? Well, I've gotten a bunch more decks. Um, so you do collect art. There you go. I do collect art. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I actually have two more on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Del Lucas. Um, yeah, I how I'm I'm so sorry. I'm like trying to blank here. I just use it in personal ways. I've used them in like looking out at the week. Like mm-hmm. I'll maybe do a spread in the beginning of the week when I'm doing my planning session and like all right, I'm gonna pull three cards and see what comes up and then um a lot of times it will just help to inform the week. Like maybe it'll be a reminder to slow down. Maybe it'll be a a reminder to not isolate yourself. Right. You get the hermit card reversed. It's like, Oh, you've gone too far. You need to like find some connection instead. Um, so just in that sense of like, maybe reminders that, um, I might otherwise just kind of push by. So I'll, you know, journal about it or write a couple notes or um, do that. Yeah, it's a super personal thing where it depends on my mood and it depends on what I need. And it, it, yeah, sometimes I'll do, um, I think, Biddy Tarot online. She has all sorts of spreads set up. There's a new moon spread and a full moon spread and if I'm feeling like I need some grounding or whatever, mm-hmm. I might go into those and just what to kind of look out for or what's been and how just, again, different access points um, into maybe what you've been through or um, what you're looking forward to. Um, yeah, I there was the draft that I wrote last, or that's still this year, right now, it's still 2022. We've got two days left in the year. Um, the novel I was writing had to do with, it was like the magical realism at a yarn store. And so at the same time, there was a yarn tarot deck that came out (laughs) or like a fiber art kind of, and it didn't, it wasn't just knitting. It had stuff to do with crochet and weaving and all. And they did the whole tarot deck 
with different elements um, of like the center point, the connecting point was fiber arts. Yep. Um, and so I used that deck with that story a lot when I was looking for cards. Um, and I was having a conversation with my friend Liz, who I did, that's who mm-hmm. I did an episode of her podcast. And, um, we Worth were listen, t- by the way, from the description. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's, I think her podcast is Art with Friends or, no, it's My Friend the Artist. That's what it's called. Um, it's a really lovely, it's a really lovely podcast. Um, but I think it was after we had finished recording, we were talking about tarot decks and I was saying, having the hardest time using them to connect with my fiction at a certain point, at that point, I was having a hard time. And she said, well, do you have a deck just for writing? Because I was telling her, I was like, oh, I keep pulling cards for this one project. And it's like, the cards aren't speaking to the project. They're speaking Mm -hmm. to my personal life. Like, what is this? And she said, you know, maybe find a deck of cards that you get it and you tell the deck you are for this intended purpose (laughs) and put it aside for that. And, and it does, it sounds super out there and woo woo, but sometimes you just, I just don't question it and just kind of roll with it. And, um, again, it's, it's in, in any of those flow states where it's these set of circumstances will never come to play again in this very moment. Mm -hmm. And so, whether that's some kind of like spirit through the universe trying to tell you something or it's just what's in that moment, you'll be able to find connection with anything. Because if you're looking to find connection about something, if you're looking to find, um, what is it called when like, oh, we bought a Subaru and I've never noticed that there's all of these Subarus. There's a thing for that. I think it's a subset of confirmation bias. That's what it is. Confirmation bias. Yeah. Something to do with that. Um, but again, I think whatever you need, if it, if that helps you, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's as we seek, so shall we find, yeah. but at least you're looking. Yeah. It's also interesting with where you had the idea of, you know, having a tarot deck for, writing or even a tarot deck for this project or this story. Yeah. I, I forget it. This was somewhere in a film or a series and it was a Western because I've watched so many Westerns. You watched so many movies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but That's sarcasm. The, there was a conversation between two people and I think this was somebody from the East Coast going West and then there's this gambler, cowboy type sitting in a fire chucking cards into the fire mm. and the main character's like what the hell are you doing he's like yeah lux lux uh run out on this one mm. so it's like that personification of cards so this yeah. this set this randomizer that it's like no no it's not just random this deck has a certain quality mm. this deck has a certain amount of luck and it's used up now it's gone this mm-hmm. Or, no, this deck is for this story. Yeah. Or the jokes with the game, gaming or role-playing with, what's that box over there? That's the dice prison. <laughs> what? 
This dice has been misbehaving. Oh. It goes in the dice prison. It's been giving me nothing but ones. Yeah. It goes in the dice prison. What? <laughs> but just we latch on to that. Yeah. It sounds crazy, or like you said, it sounds woo-woo, but that relationship with this object brings something to our lives. It brings yeah. that connection with the subconscious. It brings that connection with that other, mm-hmm. that outside. Even if it's all in our head, yeah. it's kind of irrelevant if it brings that connection and brings that inspiration. Yeah. Just for us to look at something from a different way, it's a different entry point. Or, I feel better about my game because I was having bad luck and now that dice is sitting in the, in the dice prison. Yeah. I have done something to change and influence my life. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. It's And it, it, it also, I think it makes you think about having a choice in matters. Mm-hmm. You know, you put, you spread your cards out and you have to pick you pick cards yeah. and there is something about making that choice and yeah, it may be feeling like, I don't, I don't know, because there's that feeling of having a say in things, but you're also picking something that you don't know. So I don't know. It's my head's kind of twisting around. Yeah. But no, it's, that's on one of the resources I've been looking at for modular synthesis and that, Generative Music is a YouTube channel called Mylar Melodies. He also does a podcast called Why We Bleep. If you're interested in synthesis in any way, shape, or form, check it out. Why We Bleep? Why We Bleep? Because he's in modular synthesis. It makes a lot of bleeps and bloops. Oh. Um, but he in- interviews a lot of really, really great musicians like Hazel Mills, who had done a lot of the synthesizer work for the band Goldfrapp. Mm. Also really good, especially if you like kind of the, the James Bond theme okay. type feeling of music. Um, really, really interesting music. But anyway, mm. he has many videos about using modular synthesis to create generative music, be it ambient, be it dance music. But it's about that you're creating the system that spits out random stuff. But you have that, now it's good. Yeah. Lock that in. Yeah. Okay, now we need a change. Let in a little bit of chance. Ooh, that's good. Mm-hmm. It's random, but you're still listening to that inner voice for that, ooh, this is good. Yeah. I can jam with this. Now I can do something else. Okay, now I'm going to bring that in. Now I'm mm-hmm. going to bring that in. Okay, this, this has felt good for long enough. Where's a little bit of chance? Ooh, oh, let's go back. Oh, can't go back. Oh, go further. Ooh, wouldn't have gone there. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. It's such a very different experience than I have a vision and I'm going to follow it. Yeah. Which also has its place. I've been in those. And again, that's woodcut for me. Yeah. Or the traditional way that I've done woodcut up to this point. Like, I have this idea. Let's go. There's still little things where it's like, oh, that prince, that's flatter than I expected. Oh, what if I color this block differently? What if I make that branch up there green instead of black like the foreground? Ooh, that pushes away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's still that I have a plan, but like you asked, is there more room for that experimentation or that listening? 
possibly. I might be more open to it, more practiced with it. Yeah. And and there's an awareness of that being a possibility too. Not just being a possibility, but knowing this is something that doesn't just work. It can also feel really good. It can yeah. feel fun. It can feel scary as all hell letting yeah. go. But like I just painted this and sunk five hours in again. I'm sinking it in the acid. I don't know if this will work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really neat to hear you talk about this for lots of reasons, but the way that you're talking about it, you sound less um, contained almost, as you have when you talked about um, printing before. Like there's an element of like, Something shifted in you. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, and it was a big shift this yeah. year. Um, part of it in the scariness of, I had a show. Yeah. <coughs> I had markets. I was stepping beyond my comfort zone a lot mm-hmm. in like the personal interaction, the real, real world interaction, oh, and yeah. the art side also that letting go mm-hmm. and the... I have my idea, I am submitting my idea to the forces of nature, quite literally, in that etching process, I don't know what's coming back. Yeah. And it's finding joy in that and letting go and embracing whatever comes. Mm -hmm. Doesn't always work. Again, I destroyed a plate. Yeah. That's just the, oh, let's see how this works. Oh, it's black. I can't pull that out. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I have three test prints. I guess that's my edition now. Yeah. As opposed to, I was hoping for 12. Right. Okay. I'll take it. Wow. Yeah. And again, that is one of my favorite prints. And one third of the edition, one of them is already sold and gone. Nice. So it's. If I had just given up and said, oh, God, it's ruined, I can't do this, I can't finish it, it's not where it is, that image wouldn't be out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, allowing it to be. And it goes back to different conversations I think we've had about what happens when you put out, when you put your artwork out in the world and letting people have that experience that you now have nothing to do with other than putting it out there. And that's what I think you sound, you just sound a little more freer with that too, like allowing for people to have an experience. I don't know. There's just something about this conversation that's like, wow, Toby, you've grown. (laughs) I feel I've grown. I mean, and that's what we're supposed to do as creative people is to have these moments of growth. And it seems like you had a shit ton of growth this past year coming yeah. off of the pandemic, yeah. coming off of, you know, how many years have you been in Switzerland now? Six. Six. You've been there for six years yeah. and feeling probably more comfortable and confident yeah. in yourself in those surroundings. Yeah. And with your art, because you've been pursuing art in this way since you got to Switzerland, really. Not quite, but almost. Almost. Yeah. And we've been in this studio for four years now, I think. 
I had a studio mm. one year before that. Yeah. Yeah, so for five years, that's a lot. It is. And it's... Yeah, so to be able to be confident enough to take those risks that you've t- taken this last year, that's huge. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's fascinating. At the same point, like, I'm growing, mm-hmm. but with the letting go, it's almost like, it's almost like I'm doing less. But I'm still yeah. doing a lot. I, there's yeah. so much with it, but... Yeah. It's... Which is almost it's, bigger, like... Yeah, it's it's less heavy. Yeah. In a way, because mm. it's not... It's not me with my master plan that I'm following from A to Omega. This is... It's not just I start here, I end here, and follow all the steps in between. It's I have an idea... I have a vision, I start on it, and now I'm playing more. Yeah. You're living the artist's life. I'm living my artist's You're life. You're living your artist's life, and that's a really beautiful thing to allow for To allow for that. It doesn't sound like you're like, I've got to make it by the time I hit this age or by this year. Like, this is my only chance to do it. Like. The way that you're talking is an expansive way. Yeah. That's like a lifelong kind of thing. It is. And it's... On this side of the conversation, it really is about that embracing that artistic vision, embracing the chances, embracing that conversation with the muse at large, the Mm -hmm. universe. But there is that planning side like yeah. we were talking about in the last episode of what's my big plan for 2023 other than continuing this engagement with the muse mm-hmm. it's marketing yeah. and that that is more that is a business plan that is more concrete mm-hmm. because that part has to be yeah i mean it's like i will certainly take whatever comes and try to make the best of it and try to run with those opportunities so I'm hoping to bring that playfulness and that openness from my artistic practice into the business side of it. Yeah. But there are some certain cold, hard planning realities of the business side that need to be cold, hard realities. And that's okay. Right. That's I have to listen to what that says. And it's ones and zeros. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. Follow the rules, follow the rules. Okay. Yeah. Great. But that doesn't have to impact... Exactly. That's the, okay, I finished this, I did all my HTML5 or whatever, I've done my CSS scripting, updated this, done that, done that, publish, go play. Yeah, because it sounds like you will keep keep your your finger on that pulse, that artistic pulse, regardless of what happens with that business side, in some way or fashion. Exactly. If it's your livelihood or not, you are in it. For that exploration and how that feeds you as yes. a person, and that's really cool. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. Yes, throughout all the swearing of figuring out how the chemistry worked, <laughs> man, that was a good time. I have not been happier swearing in a long, in a long, long time. <laughs> man, I can swear in two languages now. That's good. That's that's a good thing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Feel free to subscribe with your preferred podcast platform. You can connect with us using Instagram and Twitter 
and find out more information on us at our website. All links are shared in the show notes. All content, including music, audio, and rambling, is created by us, Corinne and Toby, at Inc. from the Embers. <laughs>